What's up, everybody, and welcome to another post-game edition of the Falcons Final Whistle podcast presented by Zaxby's. And we're coming to you after a week two victory for the Atlanta Falcons of the comeback variety. They beat the Green Bay Packers 25-24 to in week two here to close out a two-game homestand to open the 2023 season here at Mercedes-Benz Stadium. Scott Bayer, Tori McElhaney, and Taryn Walk are going to break all of the details down of how the Falcons were down two scores to start the fourth quarter and ended up on top. This was an impressive victory. It wasn't perfect. At times it wasn't pretty, but they got the job done and they really looked good in all phases in that fourth quarter when it mattered most. I think that was most important. So since the fourth quarter is really where so much pivotal action happened, let's just break it down. How, how did the Falcons get this done? I think it starts with me was just the fact that, and I know Taryn wrote about this after the game, but the fact that this defense was able to go out and cause three and out after three and out, and I think really do something really special in terms of being able to give the ball back to your offense with no harm done anywhere else. And it just allows the offense the time and the space to go and do something. Now, would it have been great to get into the end zone maybe a bit more and not have to rely on – two field goals toward the end, sure, I'm, I guarantee you they want that. But they did come out with the win, and I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that this defense was able to to come away with key stops. And if we're talking about the offense, too, the offense was just, I think, firing on all cylinders and not making huge mistakes. When I look back at the fourth quarter, they were just doing what needed to be done to keep the chains moving, and – Sometimes that's all you have to do. And in this game, that's all they needed to do to come away with a a one-point victory. I feel like they bookended it very well, both offensively and defensively. Maybe not very well, but well enough. Because they had the lead going into the second quarter, though it was only by three points. And the defense only had that one major hiccup with the defensive pass interference call Mm -hmm. but otherwise the first quarter was rather clean yeah they moved the ball they had a field goal um nothing detrimental entering the second but then the second and third is where things really got rumbly and the Packers put up all 25 points Mm -hmm. so it just got to take one and four and (laughs) nicks the middle right figure out how to find this like the happy medium between coming out strong, finishing strong, and just playing consistently. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to steal the word rumbly and use it wherever humanly possible (laughs) because that's it it did get a little dicey, off off kilter. Yeah. But fourth quarter, Atlanta uh, gave up 11 total yards, zero passing yards on 0 for 6 attempts, no first downs. So that is efficient. That is getting the ball back to the offense Mm -hmm. when they absolutely need it. Mm -hmm. And while there wasn't – a sack in the fourth quarter. Caden Ellis got one earlier on in the game, which is good news for Falcons fans because when the Falcons defense sacks an opposing quarterback at home, thank you, Caden Ellis, you can go to any Atlanta area Zaxby's for a buy one, get big Zach's snack meal the day after the game. So Monday, for those of you who are listening, use the code ATLSAC23. Buy one, get one. BOGO. BOGO. Love it. Yeah. I love a good BOGO. Yeah. Yeah. And on the flip side of what the defense was able to do, we saw the Falcons really kind of move the ball down the field and they were efficient and they got what they needed to get done. I'm trying to think if this is 
in the fourth quarter. I believe it is. But the uh, trick play where they caught Mac Hollins mm-hmm. um, way down the field, that was a that was a huge moment. Yeah. I think offensively that really kind of got them going, and they built a little bit of momentum, and then the defense kept it, and then and it just kind of snowballed an avalanche to the point that that the Falcons were really pretty dominant in in the fourth quarter. There's obviously that final drive where you're watching the Falcons work the ball downfield. And of course, Arthur Smith wants zero minutes and zero seconds left on the clock when young way boots it through. And, but they reach a pivotal fourth down play, right? Fourth and one Tori. Mm-hmm. And Arthur Smith has a decision to make because yeah. there's not zero seconds left on the clock. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of time for Jordan love who had been pretty efficient to work the ball downfield, come back and, um, beat the Falcons late fourth and one gutsy call what's going through Arthur's mind at that point in what was a super pivotal moment in this game yeah I think from the outside looking in the words that you would use to describe that fourth and inches moment where the Falcons do decide to to go for it is risky yeah maybe a little bit dangerous definitely gutsy those are the words that I think everybody from us in the press box, probably the broadcasters, everybody watching that moment, those are the words that I think you use. But those aren't the words that, looking back, that Arthur Smith held on to in that moment. He used words like conviction, belief, trust. And it all went back to the fact that he said, I felt good about the play call, but I felt even better about the execution that I felt this offense could complete in that moment and and I think that's something that really spoke to me after the game was the fact that he kept saying you know I had a conviction that regardless of if we gave the ball to Bajan Robinson or Tyler Algier that they were going to go get the first down I had a belief in the play call I trusted the players to execute it and then to hear Desmond Ritter, Bajon Robinson, Jake Matthews all use that same verbiage of he trusted us to go out and make the play, and we did, and we had a confidence about us to make that play. I think it speaks a lot to just the interpersonal relationships between a player and coach or players and coach to go out and and do something like that because – it is risky. That is a risky play call because you think about it, if that doesn't work, we're sitting here talking about that moment in a completely different light. We're using a lot of different words that we're not using right now because it did work. And I think if it didn't work, it's one of those moments that in football talk shows for the next three days, they would be talking about that play call and not in a pretty good light. But the fact that it worked, I mean, it worked. And they were able to go out in the next few plays, really bleed down the clock, and I believe take the lead with Young Waku's 25-yard field goal with 57 seconds left on the clock. And by that point in time, you're in obvious passing situations if you're Jordan Love because you're coming from behind. Whereas if they get the ball back with two minutes to go in the game, they can try and bleed the clock. I mean, and then they're ahead. So – I. All of that to say, that was such a pivotal moment for, I think, not just the Falcons in this game, but in kind of the grand scheme of what their confidence can be moving forward to. I mean, you bring up a really good point that that the result matters because if that didn't work, because the Falcons were within Young Waku's field goal range when they went for it on fourth down, we're using words like disaster. Like, yeah. like it's a huge moment because they had a chance to put points on the board and tried to efficiently move the ball down and bleed the clock while still getting points. Mm. And it worked. And I think that to hear 
every because I went straight to the post game locker room. I didn't I didn't hear Arthur speak. So when you're saying it now is the first time that I'm hearing it, and the words like conviction and belief and. He seemed very orchestrated and confident. I think as a head coach, when you make those risks and you put your faith, because Arthur Smith is the one who was going to get uh, killed for cr- it. Yes. Yeah. And he put, you know, maybe his reputation as a play caller, um, as a risk taker, kind of on the line. And those guys stood up for him. And I, I think that when you give that type of confidence to your players. Yes, it worked in the moment. I think that it works over a longer term too. Well, that's what Bajon Robinson said in the locker room. He said, you know, it shows that Arthur Smith has confidence in us and that he trusts us in those situations. But no matter where we're at, what we're trying to do, it gives us a lot of confidence moving forward if we're ever in that situation again. And I think that speaks to exactly what you're talking about. Well, talking about going for it again, when they were at fourth and one a little later, I thought they were going to do it all over again. <laughs> I, I was convinced too. they were going to go for the touchdown. There was a minute on that clock. I was like, you don't want to give Green Bay the ball at all. Like, they're going to go for it. They're going to go for the touchdown. But, hey, honestly, if the Packers still had Aaron Rodgers, I think they would have gone for it on fourth and one to guarantee that you didn't put the ball in his hands with a oh, minute left. You know, something that we'll never know, but I think it's really uh, – I also think just the play call in general on on fourth and inches. Yeah, we haven't brought that up. The fact it was not that, up the gut. The fact that I'm sitting here laughing at it just thinking about it, Desmond Ritter th- literally tossed the ball three yards back. Yeet. From where he was under center <laughs> to Bajon Robinson. So Bajon gets seven yards, but it really was like a 10-yard run. Absolutely wild. And for Arthur Smith to, to call a play designed for a dude who's played two professional mm-hmm. football games, yeah, that shows a lot of faith in Bajon Robinson as well. What did you guys make of the fact that it wasn't Tyler? It wasn't a quick out to Kyle. It was, it was to the new kid. Yeah, I think he earned it. I oh, think yeah. over the last two weeks, he's he's shown what he can do. I mean, I did some quick math, so fact check me on this if I'm wrong, people. But I believe that looking back over the last two games, Bajon Robinson is making up over 36% of Atlanta's total offensive production. I want to say it was 37.6% in week one, and then it was 38.6% against Green Bay. That is a large chunk of percentages for one person to contribute. And I think that just goes to show how much this draft pick meant to what this offense ultimately wants to do. Because think about what this offense would look like in the last two games without Bajon Robinson in it. I don't know. And it would be a significantly – it would be a lot less production in terms of – what we've seen from Bajan, you don't have someone who can go out and do everything that Bajan Robinson can do. That's why he was a number eight overall pick. That's why everybody said he was so special. And I think you can watch him and feel that. But I think it even speaks to what this – I feel like Bajan Robinson has won over the locker room too. I mean, I keep going back to – I know y'all were talking to Jake Matthews in the locker room. And the, the fact that he says – Literally, he was like, Bajan, he's quickly becoming someone we can trust. I think he's without question one of our key players on offense. Well, yeah, that, that second part to give me, just looking at the percentage of how much he's doing for this offense, but it's the first part that he's quickly becoming someone we can trust. The fact that Jake Matthews, who's been around the league for a decade, is, is saying that two games into this kid's career, 
I think speaks a lot in the fact that Arthur Smith gave him the gave the ball to him on fourth and inches in his second game of his NFL career says a lot. 19 carries for 124 yards rushing along with four receptions for 48 yards. Yeah, 172 total yards. It's I'm pretty second sure. game ever. Yeah. Efficient as heck, yeah. too. And he just finds there's there's been a couple moments in both games that he's played um, where your eyes get a little bit wider and you're like, skirt, skirt. Did, did I just see that he just did that? Mm-hmm. He has that quality to him that is unique. And you look at it and you say, yeah, he did just do that. He has he has a balance and contact balance that is unreal. Mm-hmm. And he can stop on a dime and he uses defenders like momentum against them where all of a sudden he pulls up and, and they go by him and he finds ways to to kind of tiptoe through little creases and take a gain that for most maybe four yards and turn it into six and a half or seven. Mm-hmm. And that part has been impressive. And look, he everybody's probably seen him on camera or heard him speak at, at this point. He's a he's a humble yet confident dude. Mm-hmm. Like it, like it's a combination of those things, and you can tell that he believes that he can succeed at this level. He's confident in it, but because he puts in the work, because of what he says is his God-given ability, right? And those types of things, I think that we're seeing, and this guy, just every single time that you see it, you think that was borderline spectacular mm-hmm. right and this is a rookie we don't want to overhype him and nobody likes overhyping rookies right but i think that ultimately, i think it's fair to say that what we're I think seeing it him is too. Do, what we're seeing him do is he's doing things on this field that not a lot of people can do mm-hmm. and i think it's fair to call it spectacular when not a lot of people can do it regardless of his rookie status i mean what the the move that he's the moves that he's making to catch defenders off guard and to keep moving down the field how many people can you say can do that? You know, I, yeah. that, and I mean that wholeheartedly. And I, I don't. I'm in the same boat as you. You don't want to hype up someone who doesn't deserve it, but I think he deserves the hype. I think he's made a believer out of me. I think I questioned in the draft process. It's like, okay, how good is this guy really? I, we've seen him every single day in rookie mini camp, OTAs, training camp. Now through two games of the NFL season. And he's everything that was advertised to us when we're talking to scouts as the reason why he stood out. Every single time I talked to a scout about Bajon Robinson, they were like, he was the best player on the field every time. Every time we watched him, he was the best player on the field. That happened on Sunday. He yeah. was the best player on the field on Sunday too. Yes, and I think it's fair to say when it's – when it. I mean, we're, we're sitting here watching it happen in real time. You can't see someone having in back-to-back, you know, weeks – his first two games of the NFL season, having that percentage of the total offensive production as a rookie, I mean, I don't know. We, I feel like it's okay to make it a big deal. Yeah, and I, I'm curious. There's a lot of rave reviews of what Bajan Robinson was able to do. What do we make of Desmond Ritter's performance? It was uneven, maybe, but in important moments, the guy found a way. Mm-hmm. You can go ahead and blame me. I jinxed him <laughs> by asking about his f- five-game interception 
less not, no less. no having not thrown less. yeah having not thrown an interception yeah. yeah oops it's okay she asked arthur for those that don't know taryn did ask arthur about it on wednesday and arthur literally said don't jinx him <laughs> Look what happened. But it's fine. I mean, you look at what Desmond Ritter was able to do and the fact that he w- he was able to lead this team in to to a win. And what he was able to do in the fourth quarter, I think, was notable. I mean, the fact that a lot of the, the big, like, I don't even know, explosive plays, you think about the one where Bajan had, like, a 23-yard run, catch and run, and then there was the, the pass to Drake London, and then there was the 45-yard pass to Mac Collins. I mean – Desmond's doing all this stuff. And then also, I think he was a bit more comfortable in the pocket in in understanding, like, as the game went on and things were being taken away at the second level, he was like, you know what? Like, I'm going to go get five yards on the ground. Like, I know I can do that. I know I can maybe go get a first down right here. And he wasn't forcing things as much in the second half as he was in the first half. And I think it continues to go back to the fact that Arthur Smith has said over and over again that Desmond Ritter he becomes his best when he is in those pressure moments you saw it when he was in Cincinnati you you've seen it over what six games now with the Falcons he gets better in the moments where the pressure rises that's something that Arthur Smith sees in him, and it's why he, he kind of feels so strongly about Desmond Ritter as a, as a gamer, as a game manager. I know we talked to Jesse Bates after the Carolina win about, like, hey, like Desmond Ritter didn't have the best first half, but he came out in the second half and he managed the game and he kept things moving. And I think like that's what we're actively seeing from him. It's just kind of cleaning up some other areas, especially in, in the first half. I'm really curious to see what he's able to do with his feet, considering that he had negative one rushing yard against Carolina mm-hmm. on only one carry, and now he's going for 10 carries and 39 yards with a touchdown mixed in there. Running aggressively. Yeah. yeah. It was a plot twist for him. I think it's – like I also think it goes like based on what the game needs at the time. Like I didn't think that like, – like thinking back to the Carolina game, I didn't really think like how many times did he have the opportunity to take off and run when he could – when like Bajon Robinson and Tyler Algier and they were running the ball at the clip they were. But in this, they were in a bit – in a couple more obvious passing down situations because they were working from behind and they weren't having to run the ball – or they weren't running the ball as much as what you would have – thought they would have against Carolina where they were holding on to the lead. I think that kind of changes things. It's like, okay, they were spreading the ball out, and it kind of opened up lanes for Desmond. So Desmond had a had a couple throws that, that hit um, Packers defenders' hands and didn't stick. There was one interception that he threw where he got hit by Kenny Clark and uh, maybe didn't have his follow-through. Either way, it gets picked. Bajon Robinson was talking after the game and said, after moments like that, I like to go look at someone's demeanor. I like to see how they respond when something doesn't go right. So he kept an eye on Desmond in that moment. And he wasn't surprised, but he just said, this guy didn't miss a beat. This guy said we're, that, that, that we're going to do better the next time. There was no wallowing. There was no feeling sorry. There was no blaming other people, which can happen in those moments. He took ownership and he fixed it, and um, or he, he didn't fix it, but but he but he quickly moved on, and, and that impressed Bajan from a leadership perspective. So ultimately, look, was it a perfect performance? No, but are you better in the fourth quarter? Can you help the team finish? I think all of those things 
are critical as we evaluate Desmond Ritter. And look, he had those four starts last year, and that is a little bit of a head start on 2023. But this dude is super inexperienced, yeah. right? And he's still learning on the job. And I think it's good that Arthur Smith is, at least just from reading the, the, the transcript, again, I wasn't in that press conference, but it, it feels like that that he has faith in helping develop this quarterback and has a belief that all the leadership and tangible stuff, right, is there. Okay, but can this coaching staff in, uh, get better performance, more consistent performance out of Desmond Ritter? Arthur Smith seems to believe that strongly. Mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah. And I think one last topic before we head out of here. Look, okay, so there, so the Falcons are 2-0, and heading uh, off of victories over Carolina and Green Bay. The road gets a little tougher now. The Detroit Lions are not what they were. They are an impressive team. Then they go to London against Jacksonville, and there's a lot of talent on that roster as as well. And in order to keep this good thing going, what what needs to happen, especially when they when they're going to level up in terms of competition? Yeah, I think it goes back to what you're saying about you're talking about like getting the most consistent form of Desmond Ritter. I think it goes to getting the most consistent form of this team. I think they've kind of had their highs and their lows. And sometimes the highs are really high and sometimes the lows are really low. And I think it's kind of evening that out over four quarters that I'm, I'm kind of curious to see because you saw a more balanced offensive attack in this game against Green Bay than you saw in week one against Carolina. I think that's positive and that's good. They had almost 500 yards of total offense. It's good thing it's a good thing they came from behind and they won but there were a lot of missed opportunities I think in both Carolina and against Green Bay that you have to capitalize on you cannot if you are the Falcons have first and goal from the one yard line and not punch it in you just can't and they know that we know that everybody knows that so it's fixing kind of some of these moments I think you are if you're talking about this defense you cannot give 40-plus yard swings on defensive pass interference calls. That can't happen either. Twice, yeah. That can't happen either. So there are moments of uh, where things need to be fixed, and I think they know that. And that's why I said when things are really low, they're, like, really low. So trying to make it to where it's a point of emphasis to be consistent from the first quarter to the fourth quarter. It goes exactly back, Taryn, to what you were talking about, how they had a good start defensively, had a good start in the fourth quarter, and then kind of fell off a little bit in in the second and third quarter. Same thing for the offense and Mm -hmm. finding different ways and and not waiting until the the fourth quarter to really come alive. That, to me, is a sign of progress if this Falcons team can find consistency and keep it. For the sole purpose of having that story ready right at the buzzer, let's not keep having this fourth quarter. (laughs) (laughs) Right, yeah. Melee or melee or whatever the M-E-L-E-E word is. Right, right, right. Um, Melee? Melee. Yeah. I don't know. It's late. (laughs) But, no, I agree because it's all phases that need to be more consistent. I mean, you haven't even seen a perfect special teams yet. Mm -hmm. So, but it's also week two. It is week right. two, and you can tell there was a step up from week one to week two. Mm-hmm. That's all you can ask at this point, and I think it'll be super beneficial to have more tape to reference mm-hmm. and figure out, like, where the inconsistencies are, where it can be fixed, practice them, and figure it out for the next game. Yeah, and I think you – Arthur Smith would say this, and I, I tend to agree with it. You know, you have to give credit where credit is due to what – 
the opponents are doing. And, and it's always accounting for what they're deciding to do, what they're wanting to do, and kind of coming up with a better, like, in-game plan. And that's that's just what it is, and it's how things evolve while the game's going on. I sometimes think it's not necessarily – you can have the best game plan in the world, but if another opponent comes out and shows you something that you didn't plan for, it's how – how best can you make your in-game adjustments? And I think we have seen the Falcons do a really good job of making in-game adjustments over the last two games because they've come out in the second half and the defense has started clicking in the second half. And, and you see the offense start moving the ball at a, at a better clip in the second half. So I want to see that from the get-go. Yeah, and that, uh, I think if they can do that, they can compete with the Lions. They can complete, compete with the Jaguars and try to keep this good thing going and continue to fix things while they're 2-0 for the first time since 2017. Ironically, the last time they were 3-0, they beat the Detroit Lions, actually. In the third game? In the third game. Oh, my the, gosh, I love that. And the Packers in the second game in 2017. Oh, that's weird. The symmetry is strange. Um, and there will be some symmetry to your podcast listening experience because Falcons Final Whistle presented by Zaxby's comes to you after every single game. And so look forward to that after the Detroit Lions game up in uh, Detroit, Michigan. So please uh, keep a lookout for that. Rate, review, subscribe to the Atlanta Falcons Podcast Network. And for Tori and Taryn, I'm Scott, and we will be back again next week. See ya.